Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, it's been several weeks since we did a program in the Prayers to the Creator series. The last one we did was on the final one you found in Isaiah. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming the next prayer we're going to consider is in the prophet Jeremiah. Yes, it is, Scott. But similar to Isaiah, prayers to the Creator are not very frequent in Jeremiah. Isaiah is 66 chapters long, and even though creation is a major theme of the book, I found only four prayers to the Creator in Isaiah. And the reason for that that I came up with was because most of the text of Isaiah is the Lord speaking to Isaiah and to Israel, not people speaking to the Lord in prayer. Well, now coming to the next book, Jeremiah, which has 52 chapters, I scoured the prophet looking for a prayer to the Lord that identified him as the creator. And I didn't find one until chapter 32. Really? Well, now I don't think Jeremiah has as strong an emphasis on creation as Isaiah, but still that's surprising. It was to me too, especially since the prayer we're going to look at today is what I consider to be a rather famous prayer. You know, Scott, back when I was considering doing this series on prayers of the Creator in the Bible, the prayer in Jeremiah chapter 32 was one of the prayers I had in mind as one that had a pronounced emphasis on the fact that the Lord was the Creator of heaven and earth. And in fact, it was on that basis that Jeremiah makes his great proclamation of praise and confidence in the Lord to do what he says he will do. You mean that Jeremiah essentially asked the Lord to answer his prayer based on the fact that the Lord is the creator of heaven and earth? Well, it's interesting. Jeremiah doesn't really ask the Lord to do anything. Let's read this prayer, Scott, and then we'll consider the circumstances that prompts Jeremiah to make this great prayer to the creator. It's in Jeremiah 32, starting at verse 16, and goes through verse 25. So, Scott, go ahead and read verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee, who shows loving kindness to thousands, but repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God! The Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Who hast set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day in both Israel and among mankind. And thou hast made a name for thyself as at this day. And thou didst bring thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt, with signs and with wonders, and with a strong hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with great terror, and gave them this land which thou didst swear to their forefathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey thy voice or walk in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commanded them to do. Therefore thou hast made all this calamity come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have reached the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it, because of the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and what thou hast spoken has come to pass, and behold, thou seize it. 
And thou hast said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Okay, so that finishes verse 25. And even without knowing the context of this prayer, one can tell things are not going well for Israel or Jeremiah right then. That's for sure. There are siege mounds around Jerusalem, and the Lord has brought sword, famine, and pestilence on the people. All things that the Lord apparently had said earlier were going to come to pass. Yes, that was the horrible situation Jeremiah and Israel, specifically here Judah, were in. And as I pointed out, I scoured the first 31 chapters of the prophet looking for a prayer that addressed God as the Creator, finding none. But what I did find over and over and over again was the Lord warning the prophets of Judah false prophets, frankly, the officials of Judah and the people of Judah, that his judgment was coming upon them in the form of the nation of Babylon. And that would specifically be through King Nebuchadnezzar, right? That's right, King Nebuchadnezzar. Scott, let's read the first five verses of chapter 32, which describe the situation. Go ahead and read verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of the king of Judah. Because Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy, saying, Thus says the Lord? Behold, I am about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but he shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and he shall be there until I visit him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Okay, so notice the warning, if you fight against the Chaldeans. You see, one of the things God kept telling Jeremiah to tell Zedekiah was to not fight against Nebuchadnezzar. God had already determined that he was going to send Judah into captivity in Babylon, and fighting to prevent it was only going to make things go harder for them, especially for Zedekiah. But Zedekiah would not humble himself before Nebuchadnezzar or the Lord. Mm -mm. Dr. Scripture, that verse you read about Zedekiah speaking to the king of Babylon face to face and eye to eye, as I recall, that is a harrowing forecast of what was going to happen to Zedekiah. Didn't Nebuchadnezzar pluck Zedekiah's eyes out? Yes, he did. Jeremiah chapter 39 describes what happens to Zedekiah when he tried to fight against Nebuchadnezzar. After Zedekiah is captured, this is what happened. Read Jeremiah 39, 6. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes at Riblah. The king of Babylon also slew all the nobles of Judah. Verse 7, he then blinded Zedekiah's eyes and bound him in fetters of bronze to bring him to Babylon. Wow, it was the height of blind arrogance and stupidity, pun not intended, for Zedekiah to defy the Lord. So the last thing he sees before his eyes are gouged out is his son's dying. Absolutely. 
So as we said earlier, Judah was in a very desperate situation when Jeremiah prayed the prayer we read in chapter 32. But what we need to understand is Jeremiah was not asking the Lord to relent of his judgment of Judah. The Lord had made it abundantly clear that he was not going to change his mind this time. The fate of Zedekiah, the people of Judah and Jerusalem, was sealed in God's mind. So, Scott, what was Jeremiah praying for? Well, it seems that he was offering a prayer of submission and worship. Mm -hmm. It's as though he is saying it's pointless to oppose the Lord. He's the almighty creator of heaven and earth. And it also sounds like he's acknowledging the justice of God in his dealings with Israel. I agree. That's a very good assessment of the point of Jeremiah's prayer. But I want to point out one other thing that Jeremiah refers to in his prayer. And it's something that alludes to a wildly improbable thing that the Lord says he's going to do in the future. In the last verse of the prayer that we read, verse 25, Jeremiah says, And thou hast said to me, O Lord God, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses, although the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Now, Scott, do you understand what Jeremiah is talking about? Well, I think it had something to do with what the Lord had told Jeremiah to do earlier before he offered this prayer we're studying. That's right. Something downright crazy by any human reasoning. But the Lord was going to use it to demonstrate his absolute power over Israel, Babylon, over all the nations of the world, indeed, over the entire flow of human history. Now, we don't have time to read all of what the Lord tells Jeremiah to do in verses 6 through 15. So, I'll summarize. The Lord tells Jeremiah to buy a piece of land in the area of Jerusalem from his cousin who's wanting to sell it. Now, that makes as much sense as buying a ship as it's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Yep. The entire land of Judah is about to be conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and the people taken into captivity. What possible reason could God have for telling Jeremiah to buy a piece of land there? Well, here's why. Scott, read verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, this sealed deed of purchase, and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, that they may last a long time. Verse 15. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. What's the Lord saying? He's promising that even though Babylon is conquering the land of Judah right now and taking the Israelites captive, the Lord is going to bring his people back into the land in the future where they will once again buy and sell and do business in the promised land. So Jeremiah's purchase is not a complete waste after all. Exactly. Although he won't be around to see it, it'll be at least 70 years before any of his relatives could even possibly return to Judea. But when Jeremiah realizes what the Lord has promised and what the point of him buying the land was, He breaks into this great prayer to the Creator. Here are verses 16 and 17 again. Jeremiah proclaims, After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Don't you love it? Yeah. What an exclamation. Nothing is too difficult for thee. 
And what's the basis for Jeremiah's belief in this seemingly impossible promise of God? He knows that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth by his great power and outstretched arm. If the Lord did that, indeed, given the fact that the Creator did that, he can do anything. He's in control of the heavens and the earth. He is in control of history. He is in control of the nations and the future of his people Israel. Friends, is there something in your life that the Lord has said to do or not to do? And you're struggling with it because it doesn't seem to make any sense to you. Perhaps it's something that the rest of the world says, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. It doesn't hurt anyone else. Don't listen to that dumb old Bible of yours as a guide for life. Well, there may be many things, the Lord says, that make no sense to us. Buying that field outside of Jerusalem as it is surrounded by the Babylonian army was downright stupid by any human reckoning. But God knew exactly what and why he told Jeremiah to buy it. And he knows exactly what and why he tells us what to do in his word. And he is absolutely able and will fulfill his word. It simply remains for us to trust him and obey. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.